Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, those are some wonderful verses, and I'm very excited for us to be getting into them this morning. My name is Tom. I'm the assistant pastor here at Kennet Valley Free Church, and it is great to be with you this morning. Let me pray for us. Loving God, you have given us your word and you have shown us incredible realities. And I pray this morning as we look at your words that you would show us yourself, show us who you are and settle our hearts and comfort our souls. In your name we pray. Amen. So do uh, have those verses open in front of you, either in a paper Bible or on your phone. Uh, That would be a real help as we look through these verses together. Things are uncertain. I think that's pretty fair to say. That's what we're hearing a lot at the moment. We've had uh, headlines like this one you might see on the slides now um, that just talk about a a climate of uncertainty um, that we are living in with the um, coronavirus and the decisions that have been made with that. um, And we are feeling the impact of all this uncertainty. And it's coming out in all sorts of heightened anxieties and worries And I'd be surprised if, um, you know, all of us hadn't been affected in some way by this sense of uncertainty. Whether it's young people, whether or not your school was open or closed, those impacted by furlough, um, is that ongoing? Is it going to stop? Or if you're older, whether it's just been that uncertainty about whether it's safe to see certain people. Life seems to be filled with all sorts of uncertainties. And maybe in our more stable moments, we've uh, begun to ask uh, ourselves questions uh, like some of these. Maybe, who am I now after all these changes have been going on? Now that your job or your routine has changed, who am I now that that I can't do my hobbies or serve in, in church in the way that I used to? Who will I be after the pandemic, you know, when normality resumes but is different? Maybe um, a loved one who has passed away in the meantime, or, or the culture around us that will just seem like it's changed so much. Or what about the question about how can we know that at the end of this journey, we're going to come out the other side? Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, hold on, Tom, I've barely finished my first cup of tea of the day. How are we thinking about such heavy things? Calm down. Well, it is heavy. It is heavy, but we come together uh, on Sundays as we meet together in fellowship and around God's word in order to to remind ourselves that Christianity is more than just wishy-washy niceness, but it has something real and solid to meet us in the very worst of our circumstances. And if you remember, last week, Graham showed us in the verses that were leading up to the verses that Kate has just read for us, And uh, Paul, in his letter, had just finished by speaking to to Christians like you and me who were finding things really hard. They were aware of their suffering. And they're aware of their weakness to follow God. And he tells us that God, by his Holy Spirit, is with us in the worst of times. Even when our despair is so much that we can't even pray, he is there with us, intimately caringly, bringing our heart to the Father. And in our verses today, Paul is continuing to offer comfort to believers. And so if any of that uncertainty resonates with you, listen carefully. What he does is by, uh, he does this by writing down three of possibly the most glorious verses 
in all of scripture. That's a high claim, but they're, they're pretty great. And they're written to give every Christian confidence in God's purposes. They aren't simple verses, but if we listen to what God says to us this morning, we can be confident of this, that whatever else we know about God and his purposes in our lives right now, we can be confident of this. He is working for our good and his glory. God is working for our good and his glory. On Monday evening, I decided to make the most of the last of the the warmer weather, and I took our paddleboard down to Pangbourne and uh, took it on the River Thames. And for those of you who don't know what a paddleboard is, it kind of looks very similar to a surfboard, um, but you kind of stand up and paddle. It's a bit more leisurely maybe than surfing. But whilst I was out, I was thinking about how can we picture such weighty and, and potentially complicated verses about God's purpose in our lives? And as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe it is helpful to think about our lives as if we were on a journey down a river. I like to think of it as being on a paddleboard, but that might make you a little bit more anxious about falling in, all that sort of thing. So you can think about a boat if you'd rather. Um, That's fine, too. So let's let's see what God has to tell us about his purpose in your life, starting in verse 28. And here we see the comfort of God's purposes. Verse 28, the comfort of God's purposes. In verse 28, Paul says with confidence that we can know that God is working his purposes in our lives. Let me read it to us. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this is an outrageous statement. Paul is telling us that God, not only does God have the, the, have his uh, purpose, have a purpose for our lives, he is moment by moment achieving his purpose in our lives. And this is a huge claim. And one that, that often leads to, to many questions, some of which we'll have a think about in just a moment. But before we do, we cannot miss the fact that, that Paul is telling us that there is a greater purpose to our lives to comfort us. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody out on the water without the fin or the the rudder, whatever you want to call it, that bit that sticks down from underneath a paddleboard or a boat. Um, I went out with a friend not that long ago in the summer who had forgotten um, to bring theirs with them and decided to go out anyway. And I won't uh, mention their name to spare them their embarrassment. Um, But you can imagine that before very long, they were very wobbly. And a little after that, they toppled straight into the water, much to my amusement. But we need something like that fin, like that rudder, that greater purpose for, which, uh, for our lives, which is going to keep us rooted and give us a sense of stability. Sometimes we can read a verse like this one, which raises so many how questions. How is that possible? How does that fit with my circumstances right now? That we decide, oh, it just doesn't fit. I'm not going to include it. It's maybe an optional extra. But yet when the waters get choppy, we really notice that we haven't got a handle on it. It's interesting that back in May, during uh, the height of lockdown, the Guardian website reported that one in five people tuning into online services said that they had never been uh, to church before. Perhaps that's them, they themselves feeling the wobble that, from a worldview that is without God that couldn't bring that comfort and stability when everything else seems to be shaken. 
And Paul tells us that, that God has a purpose for our lives and that he can achieve it in our lives. And knowing that is meant to bring us overwhelming comfort. But it does raise some questions. And in 30 minutes, we, we can hardly begin to explore some of these answers. But Paul it, believes it should be a comfort to us. So let's see how it does fit with the rest of the Bible story, how the Bible is happy with these, uh, with these things to show us that God can achieve his purposes. So one question that uh, you might find yourself asking as you read verse 28 is, is who is responsible here? Is it God or is it somebody else? Is it God or someone else? Some of us might be thinking, you know, which is it? Is it God's purposes at work in my life or is it our plans? Is it the works of other people against me? Well, one help for me with this question is, is that the Bible holds these things in tension quite happily, quite unashamedly. For example, if you think of the end of the story of Joseph, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. In the same breath, bringing these two things together, the reference to that is on the slide, Genesis 50, 20. In the same breath, we have human purposes and God's purposes held together. Joseph's brothers were responsible, but also God was sovereign. But I think most helpful for me in thinking about this question is turning to the cross. At the cross, we see human plans and God's plans together. Peter and John refer to it in their prayer in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 30. Let me read verse 27. They pray, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So what's he doing? They are pointing the finger at Herod and Pilate for Jesus's death. And yet in the very next verse, verse 28, they say, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So the blame rightly falls on Herod and Pilate. And yet we also know that God was working out his plans. The Bible is holding these two things together. And I know that this is a very summarized answer, but do you see how our God is big enough to bring his purposes in our lives, even when people are acting against us? A second question that you might have is, Is it really all things? We're told here in in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that that God is working in all things. Could it really be that God is working in all things? I'm sure many of us have felt this way before. You know, individuals have have acted evilly towards us. Or maybe a circumstance is so painful that it seems seems that no good can come from it. Yet as Christians, we can come to the cross and see the single most horrific event of human suffering carried out by the hands of the worst of human evil. The Holy One of God strung up, humiliated, tormented and killed. And yet, through it, God was at work opening the door for all who sin and for all who suffer to come and find forgiveness and rest for all eternity. So we can confidently say, In all things, he can achieve it. Now, we don't necessarily ask for more suffering. We don't need much convincing of that. And when we see other suffering, we do obviously want to help them out of it. But yet, where suffering continues, our God is fully able to complete his purposes. 
Now, sometimes um, it's easy to see the good that God is achieving, um, but sometimes it's, it's hard to see what God is achieving out of our bad situation. So another question might be, what about when it feels like God has become indifferent to our situation? What about when we can't see his hand in the sense that we can't see the good that he's bringing? What about when he feels so far away? Well, again, we look to the cross at humanity's lowest point. We see the Son of God willingly putting himself in the center of it. And why is he there? He is there to achieve God's purposes for you. Taking our sin and putting himself in the worst of our mess in order to achieve it and achieve life for us. Jesus is serious about saving you. And not only is he able to work his purposes in your life moment by moment, that that we can be completely confident of, but we can be confident as well that his heart is drawn to us and he wants to do it. We can rejoice that Jesus loves us and has not abandoned us. Even when we can't see the good in the situation. And for me, this has been a huge help. I lost my dad um, at 19 to cancer. And I don't know why him or why then or why cancer. But I do know my saviour's heart. And that is a comfort to me. I know that he can bring good and bring his purposes to bear. Do you see? We can trust the one who is beyond us and yet at the cross has shown his sovereignty and love mingled together. I'm not pretending that this answers all of our questions or even that it answers all of your questions. But it gives us immense reason to find our comfort in God achieving his ongoing purposes in our lives. Doesn't it? I think so. Now the question that follows, I think, is what is it then that God is working towards? We've been told in verse 28 that, that it's good, um, but, but what is it? Surely it's, it's got to be more than our immediate comfort, because we know that that's not our experience, is it? What does he tell us it is? Well, Paul, in one verse, now sets out an enormous vision for God's purposes in our lives. Verse 29, the heights of God's purposes. Looking at verse 29, the heights of God's purposes. We, we were made to have purpose. We were made to have answers to the question of, of why is it that we do things? Where is it our life is heading? I saw this picture recently on Twitter, um, and uh, it illustrates to us two things. Uh, One is that punctuation um, and graphic design are very important. Um, But secondly, it connects with this very biblical idea that you and I were made for a purpose. For those of you who can't see it, it says, you matter, don't give up. But with the awkward kind of arrangement, it could be, you don't matter, give up, which is it. I think that strikes at our heart that says we were and are made for a purpose. We do matter. Our trouble is, is that we often settle for um, what we believe that purpose is. We set our hopes too small, often leaving us feeling pretty purposeless. So to take our image of paddleboarding down a river, we could say that it's like we're just content with kind of just sitting still, splashing around just in, in the water, maybe kicking our feet, totally unaware of the journey and all that awaits us when we reach the shore at the end of our journey. 
And instead, maybe we uh, look over at those who want to do life completely without God, who are up on the land uh, with their paddleboard, trying to sail it just on the grass. It's a ridiculous image. And it's one that shows that just kind of the, the missing purpose of a life that has been gifted to them. And the weird thing is, is we often try and copy them, content to be stationary. We try and, and create our ultimate purpose from things like money and sex and stuff, and it gets us nowhere. And maybe you've been aware, made aware of this by, in your own life by COVID. Uh, maybe you've been, had, you've had to stop doing something. Maybe it was your job uh, or a particular way that you served in church or perhaps your role as a hands-on grandparent. These are not bad purposes at all. But we can easily make them our core purpose. For me, it was helpful to take a short break uh, from paid ministry over the summer. It can be so easy when you're up the front and heavily involved in church life that for that to become my core purpose, my core identity. It's easy for all of us to do. Yet with that, we lose sight of the greater purpose that God wants to achieve in our lives. So what is it? What is this greater purpose that God has planned for us? Verse 29. To be conformed to the image of God's son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It is to be changed to be like Jesus. Do you see the, the kind of the two parts to this purpose that we introduced earlier? God is working for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. Do you see those two halves within this sentence? So let's think about these two things. These are staggering and they change the whole way in which we view the purpose of our lives. So let's first think about our good. God is working for our good. In these few words, God the Father invites us to look at Jesus. To look for a moment at his eternal beloved son, the one that completely fills the father's heart with joy. And he says, I want you to share in that. His plan for our lives is that we would be the images of the image of the invisible God. Now, notice the language, the image language. It's quite familiar, isn't it? Back in Genesis, God says, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. There are two things there. It means that as images of Jesus, as images of God, we are to reign over this world and to do so perfectly as Jesus would, with the same heart. Now, we know that very soon in the Bible story, sin came in and it corrupted that image that we were meant to bear. We, we failed, we sinned. But these words tell us that God has not given up on us. He is restoring us to be like our beautiful king. We will still be us, not clones, but all sharing the same glory, bearing the image of God. Think of all the glory that we see around us in the world, which all points to the glory of the one who made it. Don't we long for the day when we will join in that properly, when we will not be kind of limited, but we will join in it fully when we are restored. Whilst now we fail to steward the world, don't we? We make bad decisions. Even David Attenborough has to come and remind us to take care of the world. We fail to live godly lives. 
But God is working this out in our lives that it will become natural to us. What more could you or I hope for in our lives? What greater good could we possibly aspire to than to share in the beauty and activity of God himself? It is extraordinary that this is the hope of every Christian. This is the good that God is working us and our lives towards, to be like him. And then we have his glory. It says, so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we're told that as well as being for our good, it is for the glory of God's son, Jesus. The father, his greatest desire, his greatest delight is his son. And he longs to bring people into his family so that we can share this family likeness. So that the world would be filled with his likeness. A family who are like Jesus and delight in who he is, who praise him. When we're at last rid of our selfishness, we will finally see him in his goodness and our eyes will be open to worship him. We will see him. We will love him. And we will praise him, fully restored. His glory will fill the world. Our good and his glory. That is the purpose of God. Is this... Let me ask us a question for a moment. Is this our vision for ourselves and for others? Do you want it to be? Imagine how different our lives will be if we let that future reality, being like God, shape how we see ourselves and how we see others now. What about how we see others in the church? If we we envision them looking like Jesus, knowing that, that that is their future, as I look at Pete now, or as I look at Kate now, seeing that one day they will be fully like Jesus. <laughs> Wouldn't we commit ourselves to want more of that for them now? Wouldn't we pray for them more? Wouldn't we give time to that glorious work of discipleship? And what about those who aren't yet believers? We picture the glory that that they were made for and the joy and radiance that it would bring them. Doesn't that instill in us a sense of power and desire to go and reach out to them so that they wouldn't miss out? And what about for yourself? If you imagine yourself one day restored, reigning on this restored earth, living and loving perfectly like Jesus at last, how would it shape what you prioritize now? Well, one thing that I think it should change for us going forward from today is that our our hunger to see God's goodness and glory should grow. That we long after it, that we satisfy ourselves with it, that we pray that God would show you more of who Jesus is. So that we're not distracted by the the futile purposes of this world, the the ones that seem seemingly more tangible, the, the fancy car, the luxurious house, those that seem much nearer and more attainable than the glory of the risen Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on his glory, knowing that he is bringing us there. So here's the thing. Let's, as we do it, let's make it our lifelong goal to see the glory of Jesus with our own eyes, that it will begin to change us as we do. 
I think I've got these verses on a slide. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which tells us as we gaze at Jesus, as that kind of helps our hearts to want more of him, it also makes us more like him. These verses say, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is the journey. That's the river. That's where we're going. As we gaze upon Jesus, we become more and more like him. Take a moment now. Whilst I'm talking, that's totally fine. And ask Jesus to show you more of himself this week. Paul hasn't quite finished yet. He knows that we get discouraged. He knows that the more we see Jesus, we are also more aware of our own weaknesses. And so in verse 30, Paul reassures us of the certainty of God's purposes. The certainty of God's purposes. And what Paul does is in verse 30, he lays out this incredible sequence of what God has done to make that future certain for all of us. It's the same story for all of God's people. And for me, I love to think about it like this great river of our lives where the current of God's purposes is always pulling us towards our destination. His grace draws us further down towards him constantly. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's walk down this story together. Predestined is this idea that we are chosen. It's a word that that many of us find challenging. It's not a simple word. But in the same way that back at the beginning, we recognize some of the tensions that the Bible gladly holds together, this sits there too. And however we try to resolve it, one thing is clear. It is personal and not an accident that God has chosen us. In the previous verse, uh, Paul says that it is those whom God foreknew that he predestined. God hasn't arbitrarily picked you. He hasn't kind of covered his eyes and you know, placed his finger on a map. God, in eternity past, saw you. <laughs> and he knew you completely. And he set his love on you. This hit home to me this week as Caitlin and I went uh, for our baby scan and we could see the baby up on the screen. Um, And it was amazing, but there is so much yet I do not know about them. And yet it prompted me to think in eternity past, God knew me completely. And he put it in his plan to save me. He knew I didn't deserve it at all, but he chose me. This is grace. And as well as being personal, it is for a purpose. This idea of of predestination is not simply a doctrine that should make us, or it definitely isn't a doctrine that should make us proud. Instead, it should humble us because God would predestine us in order, this is back in verse 29, in order that, that we would be conformed to the image of his son, that a lowly, weak, and helpless sinner like me would be conformed to the image of the eternal, glorious son is staggering. It humbles me. So predestined, we are chosen. Called, we have been brought in. Called means more than just kind of 
hearing an invitation publicly. Paul is describing the reality that when we heard God call us to life with him, it had an effect on us and woke us up to who he is. Now, some might disagree with this, but for me, I cannot see myself ever turning to him in my sin without him first opening my eyes to see him. And if you find yourself worried that you're not in this this called category, that God hasn't called you, remember verse 28. He says that those who love God are called according to his purpose. Those are not two different categories. Those who love God and are called. Same, same thing that God is talking about there. If you love him, it's because you have responded to his call. And this morning, if you're not a believer, if you wouldn't call yourself a believer, there is a very real invitation to you that he is holding out to you to come and see what his purpose is for you. Will you respond to it? justified. Our sin will never undo what Jesus has done. We have been saved completely. What this means for you and for me is that we can be confident that even the very worst of my sin and your sin will never stop the flow of this river to its destination. This is unbelievable grace. Jesus has paid it all. His death will always be sufficient for me. And what's even more remarkable, thinking of verse 28, God works in all things, it means that God can use and does use even my most shameful failures to work out his good purposes in my life. Hallelujah. Rather than capsizing us, we are met with more grace to move us on. This is our sovereign saviour. And glorified, we will be like him. Now, people debate the specifics of why Paul uses the um, aorist tense of glorified, whether it's to say that it's mean to say it's been accomplished or to indicate that it's as good as done. There's discussion on that. But when we read this verse, we can know with confidence that God, in His grace, will get us there. That is why Paul says glorified. We can be confident. We will get there. So whilst you and I may be overwhelmed with the suffering state of the world, or with our weakness to follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus, our lives are not uncertain. They are the most certain place we can be. God has a glorious purpose for us for your good, for his glory, and he will bring it to completion. What a God we have. What a saviour we have. Let's pray. Father, we ask that these words would be a comfort to the weary among us. Lord, that we would be renewed in our purpose for all of us who feel disenchanted with life, Lord, renew our knowledge of your great and glorious purpose in our lives. And Lord, give us a glorious certainty that our lives are in your hands. Send your Holy Spirit 
Lord, and make these things known to our hearts, we pray. Amen.